What is going on? Hola, mi burritos de breakfast. End of quote. Repeat the line. Happy Taco Tuesday, or as Dr. Jill Biden calls it, Latinx Tuesday. Uh, yeah, so, uh, no, I am aware. I think she's actually going to speak. Hang on a second. I saw this at, um, I saw this on Twitter at, uh, yeah, Matt Walsh. Yeah, I think Matt Walsh said this, that she's got another appearance coming up. I'm very curious to see how it goes. Yeah, here it is. Um, Speaking to the Asian American Federation of New York, uh, we celebrate our Asian brothers and sisters who are as bold and vibrant uh, vibrant as General Tsao's chicken and as dependable as pork fried rice. That's, (laughs) she's just unbelievable. For real, though, I would never have guessed somebody from the uh, Biden family uh, who promised black people that they would be back in chains, who said you had to have a slight Indian access to shop at a 7-Eleven uh, and that you're not really black if you don't vote Democrat. Uh, I'm just as shocked as anyone that they would have sort of a level of tone deafness in these situations. Also, what's up with the pronunciation of bodega? She called it a Bogota, which is a whole different place. Whole different place. Anyway, um, last night, Charlotte City Council met for five and a half hours. I watched, so you didn't have to. You're welcome. I am a giver. And uh, they did cover the uniform development ordinance stuff. I'm not going to get into the details on that uh, today, at least. Uh, it was a public hearing, so they took public comment and they just sit there and listen to people say that it's terrible or say that it's awesome. I, 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 I'm not aware it's well, let me say this. It is a rare occasion when public speakers actually sway the council to change its votes when the the train is running down the track as fast as this thing has been. So not sure that's going to happen. But also a couple of things did come up in the public forum. This is where people come down and they make comments. And I'm always curious. uh, So peek behind the curtain when I used to be a reporter here years and years ago, back in the early aughts in the 2000s, I, uh, I would sort of uh, farm, I would mine the public forums, the comments that people came down and made, I would use those for story ideas. Because a lot of times people come down and they're usually at their wits end about something and they can't get any kind of action from the, uh, the, lo- uh, from the local government, be it the county or the city. And so then they finally show up and they get their three minutes and they present some case to the, uh, you know, to the body trying to get some action. And uh, so I got a couple. There are two different stories I'll, I'll ho- I hope to get to. But, you know, me, <laughs> I'll, I'll run down a couple rabbit holes and probably derail my entire program and all the show prep. But um, sort of the big news that came out of last night, uh, last night for me was there are a lot of people who are getting an up-close, personal crash course in government lethargy. The way that they were promised something, and now somehow or another they just can't seem to get it done. It's just, they, yeah, the city just can't make it happen. I'm talking about the open-air market, the flea market that was at the old Eastland Mall site. 
been operating for a while, apparently. Um, and then it got dismantled because they did not renew the lease for the for the property. So this massive, sprawling 80-acre site that was being used um, as a flea market, as a as a market, and, and as Bogota's, uh, as a Dr. Jill. Sorry, I think, I don't know if I did. I call her Dr. Jill. You call her Dr. Biden. So uh, I, I'm not clear on how it all went down when it went down, because I wasn't here at the time. But it, it seems like it could be summarized as not well <laughs> when they evicted all of the people, of the vendors who had merchandise stored on site, apparently. So the city made some promises to those people and shocker of shockers might not have been able to f- to fulfill those promises. But we got another promise last night. Horace Tark Bakari, Councilman uh, District 6, District 5, District 5. Uh, he called it lip service. And then he made a promise of his own. So we'll get to all of that. But first, a momentous day. Well, it's not today. No, it's coming August 15th. You, do you know, what's, you know what August 15th is? It's the, it's the day that the governor's emergency declaration will finally be lifted. August 15th. So we're still under a state of emergency. Just in case anybody thought about getting a little too free. Just heads up. We're watching. We are watching you. Still under an, uh, an ED, as I call it. The uh, governor's emergency declaration. The governor's ED still in effect at least until August 15th. North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper said that he'd soon lift a state emergency order dating back to the early stages of the COVID-19 pandemic. What are we on, like 889 or 890 days we've been under this order? The initial order was issued March of 2020. It's undergone many, many changes and was largely stripped after vaccines became widely available last year. So writes Brian Anderson at WRAL. Mr. Cooper has kept the emergency declaration in place because the State Department of Health and Human Services wanted to make sure that healthcare systems had the necessary staff to deal with an evolving public health issue. See, it's it's about the DHHS. It's it's what Cody Kinsley and previously Mandy Cohen. It's what they're advising. See, that's the reason that Governor Cooper just has to keep it in place. It wasn't used as any kind of leverage over Republicans in the General Assembly. Nothing like that, you know. I mean, oh, by the way, he did sign the budget. But it had nothing to do with anything other than what the DHHS folks wanted. And that's why, now that the budget is signed, starting August 15th, the order is going to be lifted. It comes as Cooper signed the $27.9 billion spending plan that includes provisions that he and state health officials say they wanted. Most states ended their states of emergency well before North Carolina, that at least according to the Pew Charitable Trusts. What's interesting is that cases are actually going up. (laughs) Yeah, cases have been going up. Hospitalizations have been going up. Yeah, they, I mean, they remain below the peaks, writes Mr. Anderson. The name is Neo. Um, yeah, the peaks that the state hit over the last two years were much higher. Most recently, there was a spike back in January that saw more than 5,000 people hospitalized at once. 
Last week, fewer than 900 people in the state were hospitalized with COVID-19. State Health Department uh, records show that the daily share of COVID tests that are positive surpassed 20%. 20%, which I think, if my math is correct here, is a little bit higher than the 5% positivity rate that Mecklenburg County required before they would lift their state of emergency. Remember that? And their mask mandates and all that? Yeah, yeah. So we're at 20%. It's kind of amazing how little people care about killing grandma all of a sudden. The people who cared the most, they said, and mocked and ridiculed everybody else for not caring, now apparently they don't care. I cannot explain it. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Yeah, so the governor's ED is going to end on August 15th. And uh, we can all breathe a sigh of relief knowing that we are no longer subjected to it. Thanks to changes that were in the budget, they say, so they say, that the governor signed into law. Oh, by the way, um, let's see here. 16 North Carolina rested, uh, restaurants that were forced to reduce their service or close during the governor's ED-inspired shutdown um, back in 2020, they're not going to be able to use their insurance to cover the losses. North Carolina Court of Appeals released a unanimous ruling last week in favor of the Cincinnati Insurance Company. This was a case that got appealed, obviously, up to the Court of Appeals. The insurance company successfully argued that in its policies, the word loss means physical loss or accidental physical damage to the facilities. It does not cover a governor's ED. Doesn't do that. It's a business's physical loss or accidental physical damage to the facilities. Doesn't cover a shutdown of business by an executive of the state government. Policy provisions do not provide coverage for business interruption losses due to COVID-19 governmental orders because there's no direct physical loss or damage to the insured property. That according to the opinion. The uh, restaurant owners claim that their loss of use of the restaurant under Cooper's executive order, the emergency declaration, that that did amount to a physical loss. Uh, But the judges said, according to the plain language of the policies, only direct accidental physical loss or damage to the property is covered. In April 2020, the... uh, North Carolina Restaurant and uh, Lodging Association sent a letter to the governor urging him to let restaurants reopen, and he did listen to them. He did agree. After he got that letter, he was like, I hear you. You are making a persuasive, compelling argument. And then 11 months later, bam, opened them back up at 75% capacity indoors. Only 35% of the restaurateurs who applied for PPP federal relief program uh, ever got the loans. The majority that applied 65% did not get the loans under the PPP, a third of restaurants. And I actually just saw during the break, let me see here. um, I just saw John Locke Foundation. I don't know if this is based off of that same 
information. Oh, here it is. I have not read this. So uh, get the dump button ready. No, I'm kidding. Um, Paige Terryberry. That's her name. Senior analyst for fiscal policy at the John Locke Foundation said in response to the COVID shutdown, the Small Business Administration and Department of Treasury rolled out the PPP. It distributed $800 billion within two years with the stated intent to maintain payroll, retain employees that were laid off due to COVID, and cover overhead. A new study in the Journal of Economic Perspectives, which I read every day, evalu- I've actually never heard of it, um, evaluated the efficiency of PPP and revealed, you may want to sit down for this, astounding government inefficiencies. Though the program was temporary and timely, it was essentially untargeted. Only about one quarter of PPP funding supported jobs that otherwise would have disappeared. The study says, quote, ironically, the program feature that arguably made the PPP uh, and it, uh, its meteor, its meteoric scale up. Well, that's easy for me to say meteoric scale up possible um, is also the feature that made it potentially the most problematic. It was untargeted. This is why I called it at the time. I said it's helicopter money. They're just pushing it out. And so my argument was, look, if you've already decided, you know, to dump a bunch of helicopter cash on everybody's heads, then just do away with these this idea that, oh, we want to make sure that it's targeted, it's this, it's that, whatever. You're just pushing money out. I, like, I'm not a fan of it, although I understood the reason why. If government tells you you can't open your business, that's a taking. You should have to pay for that, I would think. Anyway, um, the trade-off between speed and targeting was significant. Are you still sitting down? Yeah, okay. Resulting in waste. I'm as shocked as you are. Here are your winnings. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, the Pete Callender Show here. News Talk 1110, I just said that. How about 704-570-1110? There you go. Repeat line. Okay, uh, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. You can email Pete at thepetecallendershow.com. I'm also on Twitter, at Pete Callender. I've been on Twitter for a very long time. I will not be shamed into getting off Twitter. I have contemplated it, and maybe one day I will. But that day is not today. Um... I do some of my best trolling on Twitter. Thank you very much. All right, anyway, um, heads up here. Tomorrow, if you live around uh, the McGuire nuclear plant or the Catawaba nuclear plant, sorry, Catawba nuclear plant, uh, then uh, between 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. on uh, Wednesday, they're going to be testing the sirens. So they're going to be going off sometime between 11 a.m. and 1 p.m., and it's only supposed to last for like five seconds to 30 seconds. So if you are basically within 10 miles of a nuclear station, you're going to hear the sirens go off for five to 30 seconds tomorrow between 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. Do not be alarmed. Um, well, I mean, it, they're going to be loud, but that's the whole point. All righty. So I mentioned that the governor signed the uh, budget into 
law. Uh, that's the second straight budget he has signed into law after vetoing like every other budget. Uh, so I guess he does need to claim some credit for something. And when you veto, I think he's up to like 75 vetoes now, which is twice as many as all of the previous governors combined. Now, I know the fact checkers would say, well, you know, Pete, all the governors didn't have an opportunity to uh, issue vetoes. That was fairly recently that they got that powers only in the 80s, blah, 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 blah. I don't care. It doesn't matter. All of them combined have not issued as many vetoes as Governor Cooper has by a magnitude of 100%, right? Times 100, or sorry, times two. 100%. He he has like 75 and all the other ones are like 33 combined, something like that. So he vetoed a bunch of more bills yesterday uh, for the second time in four years. One of the bills that he shot down would, uh, and I'm going to get into some of the details on this, it would uh, make North Carolina sheriffs <coughs> learn the immigration status of their jail's inmates and then make some sort of an effort to hold those whom federal agents would very much like to pick up for deportation. The Democratic governor vetoed a similar Republican measure back in 2019, and that came on the heels of several newly elected sheriffs in several urban counties (coughs) uh, deciding against working closely with U.S. immigration and customs enforcement agents who are seeking suspects they believe are in the country unlawfully. Governor Cooper vetoed four bills that were on his desk. There were somewhere in the neighborhood of like three dozen bills that had gotten there before the end of the General Assembly session, which ended on uh, July 1. And so there were all these bills and he has a deadline. So he can sign the bill, he can veto the bill, or he cannot sign the bill and then it just becomes law without his signature. Uh, Governor Cooper called this uh, ICE bill, this sheriffs have to work with other law enforcement agencies, called it unconstitutional and designed to supersede the ability of sheriffs to manage the safety of constituents, weakening law enforcement. Of all the convoluted arguments I have heard from the, uh, from leftists, this one is among, like, top five. Top five. That... We can't deport violent criminals from the Hispanic community because if we do, then the Hispanic community won't report crimes. That's their argument. That's their argument why they don't want to know who's in the jail. If that person in the jail is in the country illegally and is a violent offender, wanted someplace else, some other country, and, hey, look, this person's got a rap sheet back in their home country Uh, They're a member of a cartel. We would very much like to deport them. Would you mind hanging on to them for 48 hours until we can get over there? And the sheriff's like, no, you're a racist. That's the level of discourse we are at on this. Cooper said that the legislation is, quote, only about scoring political points and using fear to divide North Carolinians. Using fear. Why would... Why would we be, why is this using fear? Do you think that only, I don't know, certain people get deported? How about this? Russians. How about Russians? 
scary. Russians, who may or may not have recorded a former, certain former president, peeing on beds, maybe them. I mean, we would deport them after, of course, they testify in front of the January 6th committee. But what about them? Do you want to let them stay in the country? What about communist Chinese spy? Well, actually, they, yeah. Yeah, McFadden would probably be okay with them staying. Anyway, Cooper's veto has not been overridden since December of 2018. Why? Because Republicans don't have enough votes and Democrats keep voting in lockstep with the governor, even when they support the original bill, even when Democrats vote for the underlying bill that gets vetoed. And then it comes back to them for an override vote. They will flip their votes. Yeah, they will flip their votes because they don't want to neuter the governor. There is a joke to be made here about the emergency declaration, the ED, but I am not going to make it but I recognize it's there. I just want to point that out. Republican supporters of the bill argue that people who are in the country unlawfully and committing crimes are turning up as repeat offenders instead of being returned to their original country. This actually came up in, um, in a committee meeting. Uh, how long ago was this? Where? Oh, where did I print? Where did I print my... Ah, here it is. Here's my cut sheet. I knew I have a cut sheet. Um, this actually came up in a committee meeting. This was uh, June 30th. And uh, State Senator Chuck Edwards, uh, who is now running for Congress, this was his bill. And he says he has made adjustments to it. Uh, he's the one who beat Madison Cawthorn out in the mountains. And uh, he, he said he made adjustments to the language in the bill because Governor Cooper vetoed it last time around. So he... He addressed what he thought were the good faith criticisms offered by Governor Cooper and the Demo- yeah, oh yeah, exactly. They were in good faith. They weren't, as we shall hear. That's rim jam. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. North Carolina State Senator Chuck Edwards running a bill through the legislature during the session that ended on July 1. The bill was passed by both chambers. It went to the governor who vetoed it yesterday. It was a bill that would require sheriffs in this state to uh, cooperate with ICE, with Immigration Customs Enforcement, when ICE is seeking uh, to uh, maybe deport somebody who is in the country illegally and they have committed serious offenses, felonies and such, uh, they would like to get them out of the country. And there are some sheriffs that do not want to cooperate. They refuse to cooperate. And they say, well, if you go get a warrant, then that's enough. And, of course, this is a bad faith argument because that's a civil matter versus a criminal matter. They know this, too, by the way. But it's a good talking point, and a lot of media don't know it, and so they just regurgitate it. They just take that soundbite, and they're like, oh, well, he says that they're happy to put a hold on somebody if they have a warrant. Right, but immigration is a civil matter. So you, so no judge can write a warrant for that. You can't get a warrant for that. So that's why ICE is saying, hey, would you mind 
you know, giving us a heads up when you find out somebody is in the jail and you find out who they are and they're, that they're in the country illegally, we'll then take a look at them and then we'll come pick them up if they have a serious felonious background, right? That's the idea. And of course, uh, this is unacceptable uh, to leftist uh, sheriffs that won election. And, uh, uh, you know, kudos to Sheriff Gary McFadden here in Mecklenburg County. He won re-election. Um, Chuck Edwards, during the committee meeting, he says he worked to address the governor's concerns over the prior version of this bill that was vetoed two years ago. Edwards says, we looked at what Cooper said was objectionable, and we addressed it. So many sheriffs having told me over the last they feel that they are actually a border uh, county with uh, crime escalating, with uh, more and more incidents of human trafficking, with drugs, uh, it, drug use, uh, and, and, and gangs increasing in North Carolina. We decided to, uh, to come back and take another run at this with addressing, in my opinion, some of the key concerns of the governor that required him to veto this bill in the first place. And so Senate Bill 101 to require cooperation with ICE 2.0 uh, is essentially the same bill with two major differences. Instead of requiring a, quer a query of ICE on any infraction where someone is brought into a jail, this bill uh, would require that query and that detainer to be issued if necessary with uh, infractions of only the most heinous crimes. The other thing the governor was concerned about was uh, criminalizing uh, the, the conduct of sheriffs, and so we've removed the penalty from that. Well, that sounds entirely reasonable. So what I gather here is that you don't want to identify for deportation even the most heinous of offenders. And they removed the criminal penalty for sheriffs that did not comply. That was one of the criticisms as well. If a jailer cannot determine if a person in custody for certain serious crimes is not a legal resident or citizen, then that would require an ICE query. You'd have to run one of these searches. That's the idea. If you don't know if the person's legal or not, you cannot determine it, then you need to do a search. I know, how racist, right? against the Russians with the P-tapes. It's amazing. Senator Carla Cunningham asked about the cost. It's the one time Democrats are concerned about the cost of any government program or service. Uh, and uh, Chuck Edwards said that uh, it was somewhere around $20 a day. Uh, but she said, oh, no, I heard in Mecklenburg County it's like $40 a day. And he said, even if it's $40 a day to detain somebody while ICE comes to get them, that would be 80 bucks for a 48-hour hold, $80. And he said to him... That seems worth it to keep, you know, a rapist murderer off of the streets and to get them out of the country, right? Ann Webb from the ACLU opposed it. She called it retaliatory against whom I'm not sure why and for what reason. I'm not sure why. What is it retaliation from? I don't know. She said it will discourage domestic violence victims from reporting crimes for fear that their abuser will be deported. Activists said it'll separate families, one of whom is whipping up on the woman, obviously, um, and they said that it uses stereotypes to criminalize the immigrant community, which is weird because I think the only person making the argument that the entire immigrant community would be 
criminals is the people saying that it stereotypes the whole community. Anyway, Edwards then responded to these criticisms. It was referred to that uh, folks would be held without probable cause. That's just simply not true. There is a cause because that person is in jail for uh, allegedly committing a, a heinous crime. I heard that uh, this bill might target certain populations, and that's simply not true. This bill targets criminals. It targets folks that are brought into jail for rape and murder and domestic violence. And I've heard that this bill would require folks to, uh, to be held beyond their release date, and that's simply not true. Once an ICE detainer is, is issued, that person will be released at the earlier of 48 hours or until ICE assumes custody. So there you go. No more than 48 hours. That's how long ICE has to come to pick up the person. And... This has been one of the criticisms from uh, Mecklenburg uh, Sheriff Gary McFadden, but others as well, which is, well, we told them that these people were here and they just didn't come get them. All right, so put them on a clock. How about this? How about instead of he listed rapists, murderers, and domestic violence abusers? How about we cut out the, the DV abusers? How about that? Just the rapists and murderers. How about that? Can, can we try to deport them? And this argument that there's no probable cause to hold them, as Edwards pointed out, there was probable cause to arrest them, right? That's how they ended up there. There was probable cause. Now, that may turn out that they're innocent, which uh, Senator Carla Cunningham from Mecklenburg County pointed out, just because you, uh, you got arrested doesn't mean you're guilty. Of course it doesn't. We know that. But you're still not here legally. And if I says, hey, we know who this person is. It's a gang-banging cartel member. It's a Russian with a P-tape. Whatever. They can then deport the person. Why would you not want those people to be deported? Cut out the domestic violence. If Democrats want to defend the abusive spouse, I mean, okay, fine. You go ahead and do that. But why not just get rid of the rapists and murderers? How about that? Can we just agree on that? Maybe? No? 